Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn our attention to your word, we thank you for what we have already heard, what we've already seen, your truth proclaimed, your truth leaving our lips as we sing praise and honor and glory to the only one who is worthy of our praise. We thank you for your mercies, even as we confess our sins, but also even your mercies made new each morning just in causing us to rise, to get out of bed, to have the desire to be here, to have the desire to praise you, to have the desire to lift high the name of Christ, to have the desire to be fed and encouraged. And we pray as we open your word to this very familiar story that we would hear it and see it with new eyes and new ears. God, we pray that if there are those in our midst or who are watching and worshiping online who've never heard this story, that they would be drawn to you. And for those who already know you, we would be inspired about your faithfulness and would know how to live in a world where the idols all around us, some of our own making, tempt us continually to bow down and worship them and not you. Be with us now, Holy Spirit. Transform us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to begin reading at verse 13 of chapter 3 of Daniel. To set the stage, remember in chapter 2, Daniel has received from the Lord the very same dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and he tells him what it means. Nebuchadnezzar, upon hearing that, moves into certain actions, showing favor to Daniel and his three friends. His three friends are now separated from Daniel because of the office that he's given Daniel in the royal court and the one that he has sent them to. But now Nebuchadnezzar is going to begin to build an image of gold to himself. So I'm going to read verse 1 of chapter 3, and then we'll move to 13 where we are in the bulletin. Chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now to verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury 
and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because of the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. <clears throat> Well, the first thing I want to say is we as a church believe that this actually happened. This is not a metaphor. It's not an illustration. It's not hyperbole. It really happened. What took place to these three men as they were thrown into the fire furnace and what took place to those who took them there, those that were killed, really happened. If you go to the State Fair of Texas, you know you will be greeted by Big Tex. It's hard to believe it was nine years ago when he went up in flames. Do you remember that? All the world saw it. Big Tex stands 55 feet. Nebuchadnezzar's golden image stood 90. Think about that. 90 feet, only nine feet wide at the base, really an architectural feat. How expensive. Whether it was pure gold or a structure that was covered in gold, just imagine the value. And it was set up to be a place of worship, of worshiping a man. This morning, as we look at this really familiar story, I want to talk about folly. I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about fire. 
folly, the folly of idolatry. You didn't see this except for a couple times in the narrative that I read. But if you were to count in all of chapter three, how many times the writer uses the word set up, you would see that it is seven times. Seven times the author of this book, Daniel, is making it clear that what was created was set up. In the text where we read, you heard it. This was set up. Seven times in this text, it tells us what the king is doing. And this is why it matters. When Daniel had received the vision, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and knew what it meant, he went into what you might call Daniel's Psalm. And this is what he said in verse 21, chapter two of God. He changes times and seasons. He removes Kings and sets up Kings. And what Nebuchadnezzar is doing now after he's been told what the dream meant, that it would be a statue, these, these kingdoms where his head would be gold. He's now made an image that is solid gold and he set it up. This is folly. And the author wants you to see it as such. He is showing that that which he, this powerful man is calling people to do is foolish. He has created something and it's beautiful and it's, it's strong and it's going to get your attention, but it wasn't just for architecture. He wants all people when they hear instruments play to bow down, stop whatever they're doing and worship the King, little K Nebuchadnezzar set up as mentioned seven times the word worship in the same chapter is given to us 11 times. When you read a passage, and I've said this many times before, you are trying to understand what God's word is revealing and why it's here. One way of doing that is to ask the question, what do we, God's people, have in common with those two or for whom the passage was, that was written, which requires the grace of the passage? So what do we have in common? It's very easy to identify yourself with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because this side of heaven, we're living in a fallen world where there are kings and kingdoms that want people to bow down to them. But let me urge you first not to run to that identity, but to see yourself more honestly, to recognize that you and I in the flesh are much more like Nebuchadnezzar. All of us. Nebuchadnezzar did what made sense to him. Upon hearing that dream, it makes sense that I should build this, that these people might see that my kingdom is great, that I as the king am great. And so he begins to draw and construct and build this massive idol and calls people to worship. He's so powerful that he calls people to worship. And if they won't, he says, you will be thrown into the fire furnace. In other words, you will be executed. If you are unwilling to stop what you're doing and bow down and worship this idol, David Helm, I've mentioned him many times over the last few weeks in our study of Daniel says this, if we are honest, 
we should primarily identify with the condition of the king. For as with him, the architecture of our own soul rises to the heavens in self-adulation. And if given our way, we too are tempted to call upon everyone within earshot to pay respects to our deeds. Simply put, we all set up idols for the purpose of worship. I certainly do, and I'm confident you do as well. Some of you are building really large monuments, really large idols that people will see and take note of. And at the root of that, you need the Holy Spirit to tell you, is it so that you might be worshiped? So that you might be praised? So that people might think really well of you? Now, some of you right now are saying, I know people like that. And you're building a little idol. And your little idol, or many little idols, is I'm not like them. And some of you, in fact, have made an idol of being the one above all others who would be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many, even in the church, make an idol out of being the best, best Bible study leader or the greatest giver? I love it when people talk about what it means to be a large giver or a big giver. You know, the Bible really only speaks of two. One is Jesus, and the other is the widow who gave everything. We are so tempted. I am so tempted to be just like King Nebuchadnezzar. Even in wanting you to praise me for not being like King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm glad this section got that. <laughs> it's really easy to miss this, isn't it? It's really easy to say, I've got to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and just miss that there is another thing that's present. In fact, I would say our greatest danger is creating an idol that we want others to bow down to more than it is us having to bow down to someone like Nebuchadnezzar. That's coming, but don't miss the temptation that you face every day in wanting people to worship you. It affects the way we spend our money. It affects the way we get dressed. It affects the way we worship. It affects everything. It's really deep in us. And yet, God is so merciful in the power of his spirit to reveal these things to us that he will bring down those idols. He will actually show us the folly of seeking the glory that is only God's. We need that mercy and he gives, us, gives it to us. Let's talk for a minute about faith. Packed in this little narrative is a correction to really dangerous theology that you might, you, might, you might miss. And what's present here is in this statement that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make. It begins in verse 17. We already have seen 
that, that Nebuchadnezzar is coming at these three. He asked the question in verse 15, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? How arrogant. And remember, he's religious, but he means this question, and it's a powerful question. Who is this God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now listen to the response, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, now this is interesting. Go back into the earlier parts of chapter two or chapter three, because how they answer Nebuchadnezzar is great. They don't say, O king, O royal one. They call him his name. The Chaldeans who are accusing Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're praising the king for his royal titles, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They just call him his name. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, in other words, if you are going to throw us in the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able. Amen? A baby saying it. <laughs> By the way, don't worry about that little baby. We all were little babies once. But the rest of you, stay with me. Our God, the God whom we serve, is able. He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. True or false? True? True. False? He's able. He's absolutely able. He's going to do it. We already know the end of the story, but he's able. They did not know the end of the story. They did not know that they would be delivered. And they're speaking to the king who has the power to throw them in, to tear them limb to limb, or to have them burn, whatever he wants. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the, the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He will. It might not be by keeping us from being burnt to a crisp, but he will deliver us. And this is why the next three words are so critical. The beginning of verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What we have here is a full picture of biblical faith. And here's what that is. Ralph Davis helps. A full picture of biblical faith is faith that knows the power of God. Our God is able. He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. He's still able to heal. He's still able to deliver. He's still able to do anything that he wants. Faith knows the power of God. Secondly, biblical faith Rest securely in the will of God. Third, biblical faith holds to the truth of God. You see, what was happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was that they were unsure of God's circumstantial will. We don't know whether we will be burned singed, incinerated. We don't know. We do not know what his circumstantial will is going to be. 
but we're sure of God's revealed will. And we are going to focus on his revealed will, what his word has said about who he is. And the same is true for us all the time. When I'm with a loved one who's experiencing an excruciating pain, and they want so much for God to heal, to deliver, to return, and we just don't know what his will is, we must practice biblical faith that we know he has the power to cure the cancer. We know he has the power to remove paralysis. We know he has the power to deliver from addiction. We don't know his circumstantial will. And this is where this is a very important text to speak against a very wicked heresy. And that wicked heresy is where our faith is what determines God's circumstantial will, where our faith is what causes God to act according to what we desire. I've used this image before that many believe it's a, it's a faithometer, and that if we just had enough faith and it crosses some point on this graph, then God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will say, okay, he or she has enough faith. They have enough faith. That is so unbiblical and so dangerous. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not believe that way. They believed and had a faith that knew the power of God, that was secure in the will of God, that held to the truth of God's revealed will. Because if they didn't, wouldn't the Bible have shown us so much more about how they continued to pray and continued to pray until it finally got to that place? I remember a young boy when I was a very young youth minister, and we were listening to a speaker teach on faith. It was really incredible. And we were walking back to our cabin, and he said, Mark, do you really believe that if we have enough faith, we can move mountains? I said, it's what the Word of God says. God is able. He says, okay, would you stop with me for a minute? I said, sure. And he started praying and he started praying hard. And what he was praying for was this air conditioning unit to come on because it had been broken and our cabin was hot and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And I wish I could tell you it came on <laughs> and there was a revival, but it didn't. And he said, what did I do wrong? I said, you didn't do anything wrong. It was just God's will that it doesn't come on. And that's pretty silly, but it's not silly. When a mother is pregnant with a child and the medicine has already revealed a chromosomal disorder and friends that she's been in Bible study with for a long time have contacted other friends and they begin to pray for a miracle and they tell her, if you have enough faith, God will reverse what's wrong inside your womb. And if you don't, it's because of your sin. I counseled that mom. It's in our community and it's wicked because the emphasis is on an individual's faith. It's not biblical. 
Faith is important. In fact, Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Earnestly seeking God sounds like this. I believe, help my unbelief. That is a great prayer of faith, but not the greatest prayer of faith in the Bible. You know what the greatest prayer of faith in the Bible is? Is when Jesus is sweating blood literally sweating blood because he knows what's coming. He knows the father's going to turn his face away. He knows the cruelty of the cross. He knows that he's about to become sin for you and for me. And he says to the father in prayer while the disciples sleep, father, if you are willing, he knows he's able. If you are willing, take this cup from me, the great prayer of faith. Not my will be done, but yours. And it was the will of the father not to rescue him then. Isaiah says it was the will of the father to crush him. Friends, this Old Testament passage teaches us much about faith. Faith does not predict God's ways but simply holds to God's word. When I'm with someone and like them, I'm kneeling at the bed longing for this life to come back, longing for the cancer to be gone. I'm not predicting what's going to happen. I'll absolutely share what God's able to do, but we will pray thy will be done. We may be tempted to measure our faith by how much confidence we can pump into our minds and how much doubt we can bleed from our hearts so that what we want to happen will occur. Brian Chappell says our faith is not so much in God in that moment as it is in the amount of belief that we've conjured up to control him. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith knows the power of God. He's able. Biblical faith rests securely in the will of God and holds the truth of God, that God is good and does good. Finally, there's the fire. Fire in the Bible is meant to be a sign of judgment or refinement. And you see both in this text, the fire of the furnace so hot brings judgment on those who are not gods. And immediately those who put these three into the furnace are obliterated. God's use of fire in the Bible is also for refinement. And I want you not to miss the refinement that has taken place even before they go in to the furnace. What they said to Nebuchadnezzar before they ever went into the furnace is the first miracle of this story. Being shielded from the flames is not the only miracle. The miracle that these three people in that totalitarian government with a king that they knew would do what he said he would do is a miracle. 
So when you, as a follower of Christ, whether you are a student in middle school, high school, elementary, college, and you have a teacher that wants you to believe or say something that you don't believe is true and you stand up, that is a miracle of the Holy Spirit working in you, your life to give you first the truth and then the courage to stand against it. Don't miss that. That these three men do not worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol is a miracle. That these three were not devoured by the fire is no greater miracle. And you are much more likely to see that kind of miracle in your life than you are the furnace. And when you do, or when you know someone that stands up, you praise God for that miracle because it's him and you and not you and you alone. I love that. Nebuchadnezzar looks on the scene and what does he see? Or who does he see? There's a fourth person. Many want to run to the thought that this could be Christ, a, a preview of Christ. And it could be, we don't know. It could be an angel, we don't know. But what we do know is that it's God's provision. And what you see here is what some theologians call the Emmanuel principle, God with us. And while they're in that fiery furnace that's been heated seven times, it's normal heat, they are shielded. They are delivered. They're experiencing the reality of what they told the king they believed. They already trusted in the revealed will of God. Now they're seeing the circumstantial will of God. It really is God's will that we don't die in this furnace. We aren't going to be delivered just by going to heaven. That is a deliverance, by the way. And that will come for them. But we're going to be delivered today from this furnace. It happened. And how does Nebuchadnezzar respond? Go to verse 28. He reveals in 27 that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The king didn't have the power. The fire didn't have the power. There's only one who has the power, and that's God. Nebuchadnezzar says, the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. There isn't even a smell of campfire or smoke. There is no evidence that they were even in there. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answers and says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. I think he sees that as miraculous. And yielded up their bodies. They were willing to die rather than serve and worship any God except their own. This is awesome. Therefore, I make a decree. Now, this is the same king who at the beginning of this chapter made a decree. And the decree was whenever the music plays, you bow down to my 90-foot gold statue. And if you don't, you'll go to the furnace. And I mean it. Now listen to what he says. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, and their houses laid in ruins. He's a violent man. <laughs> but he's seen that there is a God. By the way, he's not converted. 
that will be very clear. But he sees there's a God. And this God is unlike any of the other gods. For he says, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. All truth is God's truth. And Nebuchadnezzar, not as a follower of God, the living God, speaks truth. There is no other God who is able to rescue this way. His will, God's will, is to redeem all of his people. And he's going to. That work is in process. And until the last of his children are redeemed, rescued, saved, he will not return. He's going to finish what he started. The way in which God made this rescue possible is modeled later in the way in which he made the rescue of our souls possible. That he would, because of his revealed will, he said this is what would happen in Isaiah and other places, met his circumstantial will. It is the will of my father, Christ said, that I would go to the cross, that I would die. And Jesus does. Jesus is hung limb by limb and he dies. He's placed in the tomb. All that we recite in the, in the apostles creed is true. But on the third day, he raised, he's risen. As Jesus is risen, we see the power of God, even over death. We see the power of God in his revealed will, able to accomplish whatever he wants. Friends, the sight of heaven, we are all still going to be tempted to build idols to ourselves. In God's mercy, even today, he reveals to us in this word written thousands and thousands of years ago that we need him, that there's only one who can rescue us, only one. You and I, this side of heaven, are going to go through trials. In fact, the New Testament says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials. We're going to go through them. There's going to be time when you were called to bow down and times when you're tempted not to believe in the goodness of God. What I want you to cling to is that which is clinging to us. That this God put the fourth man in the fiery furnace to reveal that he is a God who comes near. And no matter what circumstance you are in, he is omnipresent. He is with you. And so in that moment, no matter how painful it is, cling to what you know to be true. That's biblical faith. Turn again to the knowledge. Faith knows the power of God. Rest in God's will and trust in God's holy word. Father in heaven, as we hear these words from this passage, we can't help but be in awe and wonder of what you accomplished. And Lord, I pray that as we 
continue to wait upon your return or the moment you call us home. I pray that you would first please destroy any idols that we are making to our own glory. Have mercy and do that. Secondly, Lord, I pray that we would hold to that which is holding us. It's your faith, not our faith that matters most. It's you giving us the gift of your faithfulness, your faithfulness. And Lord, I know people today here are full of hope and some are full of hurt. Some it's both. But God, as we rise and sing this victory song, I pray that you would fill us again with the hope to face whatever fiery trials your circumstantial will and your revealed will will lead us through. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.